Welcome to the Heroic Minds Podcast, where we uncover the heroic stories of individuals battling through adversity and rising to the top of professional sport, business, and life. Uncovering the characteristics, the secrets, the tactics to become the hero of your own story. Because it is adversity that maximizes human potential. Welcome back to the Heroic Minds Podcast. On today's episode, we have Mike Lachlan, firefighter from Kingston, Ontario, Canada. And in this episode, we're not really talking too much about him as a firefighter. We're going to focus on the fact that he's looked death in the eyes twice, along with some other adversities in his life that we're going to discuss in relation to mental health. Now, the first story that Mike shares with us is the fact that he was crawling in minus 28 in the snow to a cottage that he was planning to set on fire so that someone could find him. How did he get in that situation? We're going to find out. Story number two, the same person, keep this in mind, this is the same individual. Mike then, later on in his life, found himself in a ditch with two of the bones in his legs sticking into the dirt with an old lady beside him, tapping him on the shoulder, telling him everything's going to be okay. Yes, two different stories, same individual, absolutely incredible. And then we also go into the lessons that came with these experiences. We conclude with a couple laughs, actually. Michael decides, actually, we kind of agree on it, that we would exchange catheter stories once I heard that he had a catheter in the hospital as well. I have a story regarding my catheter as well, and I haven't really shared it with anyone outside of my family. So I figured here's this tough guy like Michael that's willing to share his, then I would share mine as well. So we conclude with some vulnerability and some laughter, but it is quite the story up to that point. Michael is now Canada's only above-knee amputee firefighter after breaking his femur, breaking a bunch of bones in his leg, his arms, his neck, his back. He is a firefighter. And when I saw him get out of his truck before recording this podcast, he looked as healthy as anyone I've ever seen. An absolutely incredible, tenacious, adaptable, resilient individual. And I don't want to make this intro any longer because we need to hop right into this story. But before we do, I want to remind you to check out True Local, as always. An awesome company from Ontario where they source high-quality meat from local farmers package it up individually, fill a box full of all the meats that you picked online, and they ship it right to your doorstep. I've been eating it, and it is absolutely outstanding. I can't go back to regular meat now, which, well, I think it's a good thing. So check them out. Use my discount code, capital letters, HEROICMINDS25, to receive $25 off your regular-sized box. All righty, here we go. I love it. It's perfect because I get this all the time. Okay, someone will start being like, oh, you know, I got a sore leg. Oh, but you know what? Look at you. So my, I shouldn't complain. Look, look at you, right? You've been through so much. I'm like, no, no, no. Your problem is important to you and it affects your life. Mine has nothing to do with you. And I hate when people say, well, no, I shouldn't complain because look at you, right? People do it all the time, right? Mm. Look what you've been through. Oh, you're probably in pain all the time. You know, I'm not going to complain anymore. Yeah. No, no, no. This is your life. You're, you got full rights to complain. And kind of the same thing, right? Like it's totally, yeah. And I and I think because we're all measuring everything, 
that it's like who's nicer car, nicer clothes, Instagram, everything. We're always comparing that even with adversities now, we're comparing and thinking that something's not important to us. It with, I mean, mental health is a perfect example. You know, I'm feeling a little anxious, but but I know people that are suffering from severe, severe depression, so I shouldn't worry about it. I should just keep going. But it's yeah. like, it's all relative to everyone. So of if you do have, and yeah. it, it, I mean, mental health is just a, a, one example. It's interesting because, and I'm, this is not a knock against the professional hockey leagues at all, but the, it's, it's almost not, I mean, it is their job to provide resources, but in a sense, it's also the job of peers. Yeah, like of I find with is. the mental health thing in, in sport, it's totally a job of, of peers being, cause I was at, I'm part of a foundation for head injuries and, and one of the doctors asked, they were on the phone with all the trainers and basically said, you know, if the concussion spotter doesn't see it, how have you known that they had a concussion? If, if the spotter didn't see it and a lot of times it's not a big hit, it's a little bump and they, and- My best friend's gonna notice it. He said teammates, nine out of 10 times was teammates that said, this guy's not right, you should check up on him. So sure. it makes me think mental health wise too with this, yeah, it's cool if the leagues are gonna put more money in and have more support and whatnot. But at the end of the day, there's tons of research out there. People we have to, like, the guys yeah. themselves have to be accountable. Yeah. Right? I agree. The players. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's, you're with them what, all pretty much 24 hours a day. Best friends, right? And, and, yeah. yeah. Now we get into Mike's background and right into his story. Oh, I lived on a farm, uh, so I threw hay as a kid. So I was always a big, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, a big guy been... co for compared to my friends, right? Like not tall wise, but just muscle, right? Because I was on, I lived on a farm, you know, shoveling shit and throwing hay, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I grew up, uh, yeah, as a country boy and and uh, played every sport I could get my hands on, right? So I played football, uh, won uh, all the championships. So when I was in high school we had a great group of athletes. So we won every championship of football and every championship of rugby for five years and crushed people, right? <laughs> and rugby was actually my second favorite sport next to hockey. Okay. Arguably could have been my favorite if I had went. I was gonna say, you look, you look like you'd be built for rugby. Yeah, and right I was now. a fly half. And I actually, my two, two years of senior, the last two years I, I played and coached because we weren't gonna have a coach, if we're gonna have a team. So I said, you know, I'll player do coach, come on. Yeah, you only so see I, that in the movies. And, and it was so cool because it wouldn't have worked if the if the guys didn't buy in and listen to me, right? And um, and I can see it going the other way, right? Well, you're just a player. Like, who, how are you to you know tell us what to do, kind of thing? But they bought in, and we honestly and we we cared apart the league. And oh, went to office both both years. So, and we were just farm boys. Honestly, we were just big, tough farm boys. If we had played the game correctly, we could have been the best team of all time. But we just ran over top of people, right? <laughs> and just and just bullied our way into the into the try zone every time, right? So, um, if we actually had the right you know plays and stuff, and I you know because I wasn't the rugby coach, I was just a, yeah. You so know, how were you doing that? So I would honestly make up my own plays. And uh, a lot of them, a lot of them were around me looping outside and getting the ball back and running over people. So you're but, the hero uh, then. You yeah, always well, made it. So why does coach always get the ball every play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, but we uh, we were we were a team. We were a team for sure. And all the guys bought in, and it was really cool to to have that right. That's to, to be able to to coach your own, you know, your own your own buddies, and they all listen. And so, anyways, uh, played every sport. So then I played fastball also. So I played. Um, fastball growing up probably from 10 years old um like competitive fastball and i uh, won eight all ontarios and in 2000 we won the national championship um so we won the gold medal for team canada I played a lot of sports it was just my life right and loved it and I, you know i had obviously my family my dad my, my mom supported me right so it's mm -hmm. a lot of money and a lot of time at this point i asked mike 
were there any adversities or challenges, situations growing up that gave him a set of skills that would prepare him for the challenges he was about to go through in life? And this was his answer. Never broke a bone in my body before the first accident, except for my hand fighting in hockey. <laughs> I did a lot of fight in hockey, right? I don't know if you knew that, but I had a lot of penalty minutes. Um, I was good, I'm left-handed and a uh, bit of a meatball. So, and I, But I did play too, right? So I always had 40 points. But yep. I had over 200 pims every year in, in junior, right? Okay. So, yeah. A little bit of Tom Wilson in you. There you go. Perfect. I love him. Love, love that player, yeah. Um, so I had a lot of fun, but uh, yeah. Um, Never broke a bone until the first accident. So, so I thought I was invincible. I honestly did because I was a tough guy in hockey. I, you know, uh, in the younger years down in the bars, if someone was picking on someone, I'd be the guy that would step up and beat the guy up, mm -hmm. right? And not that that's, you know, I'm not proud of that now because I would never want to hurt anybody these days. But um, I was always that guy, right? Um, so thought I was invincible, I think, and that's after that first accident is when I finally you know said oh my god I could die was there any precursor or things before that that you had this skill set or which I think is the coolest thing is it that your body and mind were just able to kick it into action mode or we, well I think talked? a lot of it was just that will to win to want to win that competitive nature that I have um, obviously playing all the sports I played that's, that mm -hmm. was in me right so when I got hurt it was almost like okay well now it's going to be a goal of mine that I'm going to set to get better and, I, and I'm gonna win this there's no there's no losing mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not someone that can accept that and I think that's what drove me um, so that kicked in right away and uh, yeah it's it's all up here anything you want to do is in your head right you can do it yeah. you just have to you have to you have to commit yourself and, and and do it and I wish and this is gonna you're gonna like this I wish I had a had that mindset when it came to hockey and and trying to make the NHL because I know that I didn't work I, I didn't give it everything I could have let's put it that way I think there was a lot more that I could have done but I didn't have that drive that I had when I wanted to get better mm -hmm. and then you know if I had have had it over after I learned how to learned it like it I had no choice I guess once I was hurt it was either you, you get better or you become you know a cripple and and your life changes right yeah. you lay on a couch and you pop pills or whatever right so yeah i i, I wish i had had it over now because i think i would have done things differently but uh but yeah it was is that competitive nature that got me okay there. so being a being a country boy okay mm -hmm. i did a lot of skidooing my whole life dirt bikes skidoos everything anything anything that went fast and was on on wheels right or on, on a track so i was out snowmobiling um, out on Lobro Lake, which is north of Kingston Air. And uh, we're going across the lake and... Um, you and a bunch of buddies? Just me and another buddy. Okay. And it was snowing really hard, okay? And it was dark out, it was midnight. And I was trying to keep up with him and see his taillight because I didn't know quite where I was on the lake. So if I had lost his taillight, I was lost in the middle of the lake in a snowstorm. I, you can go around in circles for hours, right? Not knowing where you are because it's just pitch black and it's all white. So I'm following him and he got ahead of me where I couldn't see his taillight. So I was like, shoot, I better catch up with him. So I pinned it and I went really fast. So I was doing 80 to 90 miles an hour flying, okay? And when you're going that fast, you outrun your light and snowing on top of that. But like I said, thought I was invincible, didn't think I was gonna get hurt. And I was off the path by about 30 feet that he was on and I, was driving along and I remember seeing the island at the last second 
and letting go of the handlebars and going, I'm dead. And the next thing I know, I sat up. I'm like, oh my God, I'm alive. So you didn't... So there's a, what, 20... How long would that be that you don't... Like, second. you don't remember it? No, it was... I remember all of it. I remember hitting the island and sat up. And it happened within two seconds. So I wasn't knocked out. I wasn't... I, I remember all of it. And I sat up and I went, oh my God, I'm alive. And then I looked down at my left leg was snapped at the femur behind me. Just like a... Just like bent like a piece of rubber. And I went, oh my God. Like... I, I just killed myself. I'm going to die out here. And I, so, so I'm like, I don't know if my internal organs are, you know, bashed around inside. Um, so anyways, I, I take my helmet off. I reach inside my uh, jacket. I dial 911 on my phone and my phone dies. So it was minus 25. You know, when a battery gets cold, they, they mm -hmm. lose their power. Throw my phone. I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So I grab my leg and I pull it over. And I'm talking, you can't, you can't explain the pain I was in. Um, so pull my leg over and I'm like, what do I gotta do? What do I gotta do? So there was a cottage on the island that I was laying on and I could just see it just in the snow. I could just see the outline of it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to crawl to that cottage. I'm going to light that cottage on fire. The fire department will come and they'll find me. It's the only thing I can do. I got no phone. I got no other way to get somebody. That's an extravagant plan to think of yeah. right away. But I'm a firefighter at the time. Right. And I know someone's going to see that cottage on fire. I guarantee it. Right. So I started crawling. So inch by inch. I dragged myself in that snow and I would drag my body, drag my leg, drag my body. Because you couldn't use your leg at all. No, at and I could feel how it was, the bone wasn't attached. It was like rubber and I could feel it like it hitting. It was, it was gross. Um, so inch by inch I crawled and then, uh, so twice during the crawling. So the first time I laid down, I just said, die, please just die and get it over with. This how much pain I was in and, and it's pitch black, it's blizzard, it's minus 25. Can it get worse, right? Probably not. So I tried to die and then things start going through my head like, you know, I can't do this to my family. I gotta survive this, I gotta, I gotta fight, I gotta fight, right? And that's, that's that personality of mine is I don't wanna lose, right? So I was like, okay, here we go again. So I started crawling again harder. And then five minutes went by and I laid down again and said, just die, get it over with. And then I actually thought, you know, my background, I'm this tough guy, right? You know what? My friends are gonna think I'm a pussy. I can't. I can't die out here. They'll just think I gave up. And honestly, it's weird the things that go through your head, but that's one of the things that drove that drove me. Was like, you know what? I can't let them think I'm a wuss, right? I'm gonna keep going. So it's stupid, but it's it's what drove me at that time. And so I started going again. Um, and a couple minutes later, I heard the skidoo coming. So he finally got to where we were going. He's like, oh no, he's not with me. He came back looking for me. He figured I ran out of gas or something. Not figuring not. what he was going to see. Yeah. So he stopped at where my skidoo had hit. And my skidoo was in pieces like this all over. Just shattered. The engine, the track, pieces everywhere. Um, so he started hollering. And we hollered back and forth until he walked up on me. And I said, listen. And his name was Tim. I said, Tim, you got to drag me on the back of your skidoo and get me into, the, into shore. And I got to get to a hospital. I said, my femur's broke, I'm, you know, and I think maybe I'm dying, I don't know, my insides might be you know, mush, I don't know. So he pulls the skidoo over, pulls me up on the back of the skidoo, and drives me into shore, and I'm telling you, every little bump on that lake, my femur just kept going like this, like the two bones, right? It was painful. Um, and I, I, bet you, I, I bet you he didn't breathe the whole way in because I squeezed him so hard, eh? <laughs> so we get to shore, um, and he had phoned, before we left, he had phoned um, 
his buddy to pick me up and should have called an ambulance being a firefighter i was like i can do this on my own stupid would never ever ever uh, recommend doing that so we get to shore and he drags me inside this house and it was i don't know whose house it was some, some guy he come down and um i was waiting for the guy to show up so i took a knife and i cut my snowmobile suit off with a knife and I'm sitting there and I, like I'm moving around and stuff. I don't know how I did it, but I was just like trying to be, what it, what it reminds me of is like a soldier, right? Being in the, in the battlefield wounded and he's trying to fix himself. That's exactly what I'm visualizing right now is you ripping off your, and yeah. then doing the tourniquet thing and tie it. Yeah. yeah. And um, so that's actually the other story. I didn't tourniquet this one cause it wasn't okay. bleeding. But okay. um, so I actually hit that island so hard that my snowmobile suit popped like a sandwich bag. And the seams were all popped and the stuffing was coming out. So that's why what I did is took a knife and I cut the rest of it all off. And I had jeans on underneath and my leg was swelling up so much, it was starting to rip the seams on the jeans. But the jeans were holding me together was the good thing, right? So don't take the jeans off. So he's like, okay, they're here. So they get me up on the shoulders, take me outside and we're out in the sticks, right? These are hillbillies. What's waiting for me? A jacked up Ford truck that like this high, five feet off the ground. So they try to lift me up into this truck. Well, every time they lift me, my leg comes apart. I'm like, you idiots. So I go, go get another car. So that wasted 10 minutes. We had to, they changed cars. They sat me back down. Like I took off in the truck, went and changed cars. So a jacked up Ford pickup isn't a good ambulance. Not That's a good ambulance. <laughs> so they come back with like a little Cavalier so I could get down into it, right? Off to the hospital. Get to the hospital, I remember this perfectly because we get to the hospital, pull up in the emergency ramp and a guy comes out with a wheelchair um, and opens the door and looks at me and goes, holy shit. Takes off the wheelchair and out comes 10 people with a stretcher like a minute later. So I was like, oh, I really look that bad, do I? Right? Because like, it must have looked terrible. I must have been in bad shape. So I remember getting in there and then it's like, it's like a, a swarm of people, right? And they're cutting your clothes off and they're and you're going in for x-rays and CAT scans and all that stuff. So uh, into, into surgery and I had broke, so I'd shattered my femur, uh, broke my kneecap, my tibia, fibia, and this is the kicker. Um, I had snapped my arm right off and not realized it the entire time I crawled, the entire time I was using my arms. And I woke up at a surgery with this big cast on. I said, what's wrong with my arm? And they said, well, you snapped your ulna right in half and your arm was twisted sideways. And I said, I, said, I didn't know that. I never realized that because my leg was in so much pain. I didn't, it was just, it was taken away from everything else. Because I was going to ask when you were, when you were crawling, if, because you said you were in so much pain and I wondered if you weren't in shock. Oh, I was were... in a bit of, I, I was, I was in a bit of shock, but not being a firefighter. I knew if I went into shock, I'd probably die. I'd probably just lay there and die. So I knew I had to stay on top of things and be like in control of yourself. And now that I've done it twice, I know how to do that. I know how to be like mind over matter, just be in control, right? And don't let yourself slip out. Um, so yeah, I was in control that whole time. Listening to Mike talk about how he was in control that whole time in that situation seems almost hero-like, like that he was able to do that in that high pressure situation. Again, I'm learning as I go with all these guests and trying to pick out the messages and hearing him speak when he was on the ground with what he thought to be no option is he kept thinking of other options. I mean, he was able to think of a strategic plan such as lighting a house on fire to get attention. I just think even though he was in that high pressure situation, it was the idea that he kept moving forward, not only physically, but mentally. 
And that is what kept himself from going into shock, staying in fight mode instead of allowing himself to go into flight mode, which wouldn't help him in the situation. So, so from that accident, I have a titanium femur. I have a titanium kneecap. I have 33 pins and screws holding my tibia, fibia, knee, and femur together. I have a titanium forearm from there to there, and 11 screws holding it together. So that's from the first accident, that's from the snowmobile accident. So I spent a month in the hospital, um, and I spent about six months in and out of St. Mary's, you know, I had to learn how to walk all over again. So like the first day was like, stand up, good job, that's your day. And me being me, I was like, what? I want to run today. What are you talking about, right? It was so frustrating to get your head around. Oh my goodness, right? Like day two, stand up, take two steps. Good job, Mike, sit down. No, I want to run today. Like this isn't enough. I got I to gotta get back to work. I got to get back to hockey, right? So that went on for a little while, but I get it now. I get, I get it. It's a process, right? And I followed that process to a T. And I remember my first day of physio when I could actually walk on my own the uh, physiotherapist said, listen, if you do anything while you're here, I don't want you to limp, okay? Limping is a, is a mind over matter thing. It's all in people's heads that they have to limp. And I was like, really, okay? And uh, so that whole time I concentrated on not limping. And, uh, and honestly, I never ever limped. And you would think with a leg that's that mangled, people, well, so people that limp are just, they're, they're compensating, right? They're thinking, oh, it hurts, it hurts. You know, I can't, I can't walk on that. That's all they're doing. It's all in your head. If you're actually spraying your ankle or something next time, you hurt your foot or whatever, try to try to think mind over matter with the limping. You won't limp at all. And I didn't know that until I actually did it myself. And that, that's a thing. It honestly is. This was really interesting because just the other day I was talking with Mark Shifley, who we've had on the podcast, successful NHL player. And, and he talked about in his training, he added something called Feldenkrais which is a method of, you could say, physical activity, physical therapy. And what it is, it's a method of movement that is done to reorganize connections between the brain and the body to improve the movement and remind it of ways it can move and healthy ways to move and proper ways to move. And continuing to do those exercises makes sure that he has his mobility and can move the right way to execute what he needs to in his sport. Your, your brain, like your mind controls it, everything, right? And if you if you know how to to control your mind, I guess, then you, you can mm-hmm. do anything. And I was told not to limp and I didn't. And well, uh, and I remember the physiotherapist saying, look around this, this room right now, and there's a bunch of people doing their thing. And they said, there's not one person here with near the injuries that you have. Like you are the by far the most injured person here. And he limps, he limps, he limps, he limps. You're not limping. Isn't that strange? I was like, well, yeah, I guess I get it, right? So that was the one thing, never limp. And I, to this day, I don't limp, right? Even with uh, my other leg. Because <laughs> it's I, all... I noticed that too when you were walking. I thought yeah. you are working, walking perfectly fine. And a lot of people with prosthetics, they do limp because they weren't taught properly. And, mm. uh, you know, they're favoring it or whatever. Mm. So, um, but it's very doable. Like, and that was the thing when they were teaching me to walk on the prosthetic. It was the same thing is don't limp walk mm-hmm. properly walk just like you did before and that leg will will compensate it'll do it for you anyways back to the same so yeah. i spent uh so a month in the hospital six months in and out of st mary's and um i went back to my normal life i went back completely um you would never know i was ever in an accident so i played hockey at even higher like even better i became actually 
a more skilled player. I, you know, getting older and didn't fight anymore and stuff, right? So I was playing senior A and I was actually, be, I was a goal scorer and I was loving it. That's and a nice like, change. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, oh my goodness. Like I was playing on the on the front line with uh, Randy Holmes and Jason Sutton, which are two very good senior players at the time and uh, the leading scorers in the league. And I was, so I was put on the line to protect them, but by being on the line, I didn't have to do much fighting because I actually ended up being the, the leading scorer because playing with two really good hockey players, you know, they basically were banking the puck off me, right? In front of the <laughs> net, people were giving me room. So it was a whole new uh, uh, like look on, on hockey for me. I was like, I love hockey. Why didn't I do this before? I should have been a goal scorer, right? But, uh, but uh, so I went back to completely being me and I loved it. And, um, and then uh, life was good. I, I met a girl and... Uh, 2011 and uh, life was good. We had a yoga studio. I built a yoga studio because uh, uh, Jen was a uh, was the girls with, and uh, we lived together. And I built her yoga studio. She was a yoga t- uh, instructor, and I was like, you know what? You might as well have your own business and let's do this, right? So really proud of that of that business because we built it up. It's called Life Yoga, and it still exists today. Um, but uh, mental illness was something I didn't know anything about at the time, and uh, and Jen committed suicide uh, 2011. So January 9th, 2011. And mental pain, much worse than physical pain, right? Trying to get past, you know, what should I have done different? I should have seen it coming, all that stuff, right? Um, So the toughest time of my life to this day was going through that. And uh, because I came home and found her and and we lived on dog lake and uh you know it was 25 minutes till an ambulance police car fire department showed up so i laid there with her you know motionless body just screaming why right why why'd you do this because people that do commit suicide they hide it that's why they get away with it right that's why they do it because we they figured out how to that they were at peace with it and they're just going to do it and you're not going to notice it because you know, if if we knew that someone was suicidal, we'd stop them. Mm-hmm. So that's the toughest thing to swallow, right? In that situation, so that was a tough part of my life, and I went through some some dark days. Um, so I don't talk about this too often with anybody, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do it with you because I feel pretty comfortable here. <laughs> um, I had um, taken painkillers when I had my first accident, and there was no issues with it or anything, but. I know I knew what painkillers would do, and they do they do you know make you feel good and they make you forget. And after her death, I started taking some painkillers, and to the point where I needed some some help to mm-hmm. stop taking them. And uh, that's stuff for me to talk about because mm-hmm. I don't like losing, like I said, and I feel like they beat me. Um, they beat me at that time. Mm-hmm. Now, ultimately, I beat them because I got off them. And and what was that turning point? To, was it you? You know what it was? And we just talked about it. My friends. My friends saw it and said, let's go, let's fix this because we see what's going on here. Because um, I was still, um, you know, I was still working. I was still doing everything. Mm-hmm. It just, they do change you, right? Being on being on a pain medicine like that, it's, uh, uh, it changes you for sure. And they saw it. Was and, there any relationship between when you had to overcome the things you had to accept with the snowmobile accident or the things that changed in your life that helped at all or was it completely different because it was a mental adversity opposed to physical yeah completely different i didn't know how to handle it right i i know how to handle the the physical part because i know it's just a lot of work 
You mm-hmm. just got to put in the work, just like hockey, right? Mm-hmm. But with the mental part, it's not putting in the work. It's totally different, right? You got to you gotta really just, uh, you know, dig in deep to yourself and, and figure out what's going on in your mind, right? And, and deal with it and talk about it was the big thing. Mm-hmm. So once I started talking about it, um, talking about your issue or talking issue about her Jen? death, okay, yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. her death and and my problem with accepting that I couldn't have changed what happened, it's not my fault, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all those all those things that everyone goes through. So yeah, once I started talking about it um, with someone, it uh, it really helped, and then and then you know clear getting a clear mind again, not being on painkillers. Um, and there, are, you know, as you know, an epidemic with with painkillers in this in in the world, but in this country in, in North America, um, there's all people from all walks of life take them, right? And it's a it's a problem that people are dying from fentanyl and all that stuff these mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, I can see how people can get caught up in that. I never expected me to do it. I feel like I like I said, I feel like they beat me at that time, and I hated it. I hated losing to something. You know what I mean? Something so so you know bad and dark like that right but, which is uh, yeah i was gonna say you i take you as someone that didn't take losing lightly and avoided at all costs so to to knowingly in the moment realize you're losing this battle yeah, and physically true. wasn't this isn't something you could grit your teeth and push through physically it's i've uh, through talking with people going through mental health adversities i like to call it the thing then I had to learn it too because I went through some anxiety with the you wake up you're soaking wet and and a bunch of moving pieces in my life at that time but the biggest thing was you I did the same thing as you you grit your teeth and get through stuff and it's like you said it's the opposite you almost have to relax your jaw relax yourself yeah. and accept the situation and but and ask yourself, for help and I don't yeah and that's not I easy hate to do. asking for help yes. yeah in anything it's not so, easy to do no so to feel that that sense of vulnerability is so tough but then at the once you do you're 10 times stronger than you ever were Absolutely. but it's it's being willing to open up to that vulnerability which sitting across the table from you I feel like you don't like to get assisted with most things no, anytime right? so it's, and you know you know that feeling so yeah yeah so once I got through that and, and I did um like you said I felt like I was a stronger person and I uh, and now I feel like I can help people that are in that situation and there are a lot of people in that situation so but after that i mean it took a couple you know a couple years to get back to to being me and uh life went on again and you know really dug into my work and and being a firefighter and did you find any new habits such as yoga or anything that you you know what i don't do yoga anymore it's almost like a sore spot for me Mm -hmm. um but i've always been you know i've always worked out and and that was part it's always been part of my life and always will be i think um, but no, not really. Just got back to being me, right? Playing hockey and, and baseball. Took actually started playing baseball again because in two thousand we won the uh, national championship. Um, I stopped playing ball, and uh, and after she died, I actually took up ball again and started loving ball again and, st- and nice. started running a team, a fastball team. Oh, cool. um, so uh, no, things were good and. Um, then so June sixth. So fo- sorry, follow up from the 2011 was the was Jen. Jen, and then well before that the snowmobile accident was 2007. 2007. Okay, and then now it's so it's 2016. So 10 years almost okay. is a span yeah. of of my life. <laughs> um, so 2016, life's good. Um, 
everything and everything's good and uh, I had a motorcycle I've always like I said I country boy right drove motorcycles dirt bikes everything my whole life so had a, a Harley that I'd bought and uh, was out at a friend's place out, out near Lobro Lake again the North Shore Road which runs along the Lobro Lake and I'm not joking the two accident scenes are probably three kilometers apart which is freaky right mm-hmm. um, so first nice day of June gonna go for a nice afternoon ride four o'clock in the afternoon cruising down uh, North Shore Road um, doing maybe 60 clicks just not doing anything wrong and out of nowhere a deer runs out of the ditch into the side of me so I mean you hear of it happening in cars all the time lots of people have had it happen where they just come out and basically you startle them as much as right mm-hmm. as, as you're startled but I'm, in, I'm, a, I'm on a motorcycle not a car hits the side of me off my forearm and the bike goes sideways but I get control of it again I get into a little bit of a speed wobble back and forth um, so that happens but then I get control of the bike and when I look up after I got control again there's a 90 in the road and I hadn't slowed down so I tried to peel around the corner so I bent it as hard as I could the muffler's scraping off the ground like I'm, I'm turning so hard and the back tire touches the shoulder of the road and you know when you're at that angle mm-hmm. and that speed the bike just shoots it from under me so as that's happening, I always, you know, when you're a motorcycle rider, you always say, don't hit your head, you hit your head, you die. So I thought, okay, ride it out, ride it out. So I tried to sit up straight and ride it out on my butt. So as I did that, I bounced off the side of the road, slid down through the ditch, and as I'm sliding, my leg catches a rock that's in the ditch and snaps right off. And I watched it happen. And this is your other leg. So this is this leg, yeah, my yeah. Op- the other leg from, the, yeah, the yeah. opposite one from the first accident. Yeah. So as so when I bounced off the road, I didn't realize it at the time, but I broke my neck and my back. I hit so hard I compressed my spine and my and my neck, right? So it was from compression of impact, not necessarily yeah. hitting up against No, it was from the compression. Yeah. So uh, two fractures of my of my uh, well I'll just say my neck and and my spine compressed a whole vertebrae and flattened it right out. So didn't know this at the time, uh, because what was in front of me was a torn off leg. <laughs> So just like when you didn't notice your arm, you didn't notice your back at Not this point. Not a bit. Not a bit. Um, now, when I think when I think back now, I remember feeling so tight and sore, but I wasn't. I was just thinking I was bruised, right? I find this so incredible. It's twice now where Mike has had broken limbs and hasn't noticed because of being stimulated in other areas or thinking about other things and doesn't notice that bones in his body are broken. Little reminder, I love neuroscience. I love everything about it. A little reference to a book that I've referenced before on this podcast, The Brain's Way of Healing by Norman Deutsch. And he just talks about how we can actually turn down our pain receptors by visualizing those areas in our brain that should be lighting up when we feel pain, visualizing those areas not lighting up, turning it down. So the reaction to pain actually starts to decrease because of plasticity in the brain, which is changing the routes or circuits in our brain i think it is an incredible reminder of the old saying that it really is mind over matter we came to a stop the bike the harley bounced off the rock cut in front of me boom on top of me couldn't get in how much is that how much does that weigh uh 800 pounds heavy (laughs) so um i actually remember thinking oh my god i did it again right i can't believe this is happening again and um, 
right away my instinct kicks in. I'm like, I gotta survive, I gotta do this, right? So I take the bike, and you know when they say you get a little extra, like this yeah. crazy strength when the chips are down? Mm-hmm. My adrenaline was going, and I took that bike, and I flipped it off me. And I'm a strong guy, but I'm not that strong. Yeah. Like I still don't know how I did it with a broken neck and back. Um, so flipped it off me, looked down, and my leg is ripped off at the knee, holding on by skin. My tibia and fibia are out through my shin, in the ground like a lawn dart, oh. and my ankle ball is completely out with my foot ripped off. Horror movie, okay? Couldn't believe what I was seeing. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm, I'm gonna die. And so... Did me, any, was there anything that gave you sense of calm from knowing you'd been, you've overcome absolutely. so much before in that same situation? Absolutely, because I remember I, I, I thought to myself right away, oh my God, it's happening again. I find this as such a cool reminder to not venture through fears necessarily and find ways to deal with them, which Michael did in this situation, but more importantly, how adaptable not only the human body is, but the the mind, the human mind in a sense that if we put our bodies through stressful situations, if we find ourselves in a similar situation, we're going to know how to deal with it. We're going to be able to get into that predator mode when the chips are down. And it's no different than the adaptability where the fetus, when it's in the womb, can send stem cells, healthy stem cells to its mother to help keep her healthy through pregnancy. The body is adapting to be able to survive. And when we push our body to the brink, it's learning ways to survive. Because there's no way Mike had a script at that point of this is what I do to survive in this situation. The body is just doing it. And I think that's so cool. Saying that, I was like, I did it once, I can do it again, right? I, 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 I know I have the ability. I ripped my belt out of my jeans, tourniquet my leg as tight as I could go, and I remember how bad that hurt, but I just kept going as tight as I could go, and I tied it off, and then I pulled my phone out of my other pocket. Luckily, the phone wasn't broke. I and had it was charged this time. It was charged, and instead of dialing 911, I dialed my fire department because I know that 911 takes a couple minutes because they have to do a couple transfers, right? Police, fire, ambulance, transfer, transfer, right? So I phoned direct, my direct line at the fire department. It rang once, she picked up. Hey Mike, how's it going? <laughs> you can imagine her surprise, right? I'm fucking dying yeah. in a ditch, my leg's ripped off, right? So immediately like she starts going, Mike, okay, okay. Like her, her panic came right up. She sends the trucks out right away, um, but they're at fire dispatch, which is in the building with all the chiefs and, and training officers and everybody. So during that time, um, someone had been walking by, I guess, and realized that there was something very, very strange going on in dispatch because she was uh, so worked up. And uh, so the the building started coming into the dispatch room and listening to me screaming, like oh, listening okay. to the situation. And I guess there was a, it was a pretty full room at the time and everyone, it was a pretty like crazy situation and I didn't hear this story till after and I wanted to hear it. I didn't know how it affect like my incident affected other people and like there's people in tears listening to this, right? Well, it's and one of the it, brothers, right? Like a team, like you said, the hockey team yeah, similar to a fire But I team. never thought of that until I was told this after and uh, the chief was there, like everyone was there listening intently, you know, is he going to live? Is he going to live? Because at that time, I thought I was dying. I thought at any time the lights are going to go out, right? Um, because I was pretty broken, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what's I, going on in the... Well, that's the going ditch. on. So yeah, the the, the ditch. tourniquet's done. I'm on the phone. 
Um, a car drives by, doesn't see me because I'm down in the ditch. So I took my helmet off, threw it up on the road, grabbed a couple bike parts that broke off the bike, threw them all up on the road so the next car would see. So the next car slowed down and, uh, and got out and, and ran down. And it was a little old lady. And uh, I thought for sure she was going to take one look and go, oh, run away. She came down and she talked to me and put her arms around me. And it was amazing, like a little angel, right? My mom actually tracked this lady down and uh, thanked her. I, uh, um, yeah, crazy. Not in a religious way, but is there anything in that that you ever, do you ever look back and think? Like well, you said, it's an angel type thing, but do you ever well, think? Yeah, like I just couldn't believe that this little old lady, did, I was like, she must be a nurse or something. Someone that can handle this stuff. It turns out, no, she was like a teacher or something. And, but just, you know, I needed that comfort at the time because I was alone in that ditch, laying there dying, mm-hmm. as far as I knew. And just to have someone there. And then an, an older man from down the road heard the screaming and yelling and he uh, walked down the road and found me but he was he was almost in shock he was just like what do I do right I do so I was like I just got to give this guy a job so I like, get some more rope so I can tie a tighter tourniquet on my leg so he took off came back with some baler twine I tied a second tourniquet on my leg um, but uh, and then I could hear sirens coming so it was about 15 minutes but it went by quick enough it was long but it was quick enough because I, I was trying to keep myself busy and heard sirens coming and they couldn't come quick enough and then so the volunteer fire department showed up first fire come firefighter that gets out though the volunteer fire department was a friend of mine and uh unfortunately he had ptsd from this call um he was the first one there and he was in you know just wow what you know mike you think you're you're dying like so it actually affected him. I mean, I remember he came into KGH and visited me and uh, he was in tears and he said, I've lost so much sleep. And he actually, he, then after seeing me and knowing I was going to be okay, it actually helped him. But it really bothered me that I affected someone that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I felt, I, was, I kept saying sorry to him. I'm like, sorry, I didn't, I, I'm sorry I did this to you, right? But uh, being a firefighter, he was just like, no, no, this is my job. He just, you know, Everyone has that one call that bugs them, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, then the ambulance shows up and the police are there and it's just a, it was just chaos. And I've always been the person packaging the person up, you know, being on the other side and being the vi- the victim this time, you know, they're cutting your clothes off and they're turning it over and they're checking you and you're on a backboard. And I knew by the speed of, we always, you always know by the speed of how fast you package someone up and get them in the ambulance, how bad they are. Mm-hmm. Um, if they take longer, it's not so serious. I was on that backboard so quickly and in that ambulance, I was like, I'm I'm in bad shape. I know I am, right? And I was in so much pain. Did you think worse shape then? Or were you not even thinking that comparing? No, but- I thought I was dying. I thought my I thought my internal organs were must have been mush because I was in so much pain. And to see how badly my leg was ripped off and everything. Um, so I, th- I, I didn't know, I thought at any time the lights could go out, right? Um, so the ambulance ride in, obviously very long and painful. I was in so much pain. They kept calling the doctor at the hospital to see if they gave me more pain medicine because it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't take it away. And uh, there, at one point the, the paramedic just said, there's nothing more we can do. You're just gonna have to ride it out. We'll get you there. You just gotta hold on, Mike. So the, the fire chief of South Frontenac, where I was, it wasn't Kingston, it was South Frontenac, uh, is a very good friend of mine, Rick Cheeseboro. And he rode in the ambulance with me just so I could have someone there, you know, to comfort me along the way because you do you do feel so alone when you're in that position, right? Like you just feel helpless. You, you are, right? I was broken. I was a broken person. And um, got to the hospital. Um, I have all these doctors assessing me. And then finally a doctor comes over and says, 
Mr. Lachlan, um, there's nothing we can do for your pain. We're never gonna get on top of it. We're gonna, we're gonna have to put you in a coma to get on top of it. And I remember saying, do it, please do it. I remember begging them to do it. Because the pain was so... I was in that much pain. And I'm and I've, I'm someone with a very high pain tolerance. I knew that from the first accident, be able to do everything I did in in the amount of pain yeah. I was in, and uh, and able to do what I did this time in all the pain I was in. And I and I was just like I was begging them. I just said, do it, do it, do it. And I remember it wasn't five minutes later, the lights went out. And uh, so during the eight days I was in a coma, um, it felt like thirty minutes to me. So while that was happening though, I can't really explain it, but there was a lot going on in my head and all these weird things go on in your head. I can't, I'm not even gonna begin to try to explain it to you, but I had actually thought that I, I had died. I had accepted that I was dead and I thought it was my brain shutting down. This was once you were waking up? No, this or? was once I was in a, in, in So you coma. could think while you were in a coma? Yeah, I remember the stuff that was going on in there. And like I said, it's not even stuff I can explain really, mm-hmm. but I had thought that that was how my brain was deactivated, like shutting down basically. You know, your memories go through and you flat, things flash before you and stuff. That yeah. happens. Wow. And, See, because uh, I, I was in, I don't know how long I was in it because those seven days were an absolute blur. But I don't remember it at all in any way, shape, I, or form. No, I remember waking up and that's it. I remember all oh, I met 24 hours earlier in Brampton when we played. Yeah. And, you know, the next 24 to So they say hours. some people do hear and... And, uh, and think things. So like I said, though, I only remember 30 minutes. About. I, I think it's about that. Okay. Um, so wherever the other days went, <laughs> eight days went, I don't know. But I just remember about 30 minutes of it. So maybe it was while I was waking up. I remember that part. I'm not sure. Because um, I don't know where the rest of it went. And uh, I saw pictures of me actually laying there in a coma. And it was very strange. My, my body was so swollen from the impact. And... Um, they, I guess I was overheating, so I had just a, t- a tea cloth over my parts, and the rest of me was just laying there all bloated. My fingers were like this big. My whole body was just swollen and bloated, and uh, it just looked so strange. I'll show you the video actually before I go, but um, um, so I, the next thing I remember was the tube coming out of my throat and choking on it. I, well, I remember that the throat wasn't as bad as the one coming out of my um, yeah, member gotcha. there. Yeah, gotcha. So both both my accidents, I had a catheter. Um, hated it, obviously. It got tugged on a couple times when it shouldn't have. Someone tripped over it once. Uh, come yeah, on. Yeah, no joke. Unbelievable. What? The person, the lady felt so bad. The nurse, she like ran and screamed, like ran into the room. Um, I thought it was ripped off, um, but I had it in both times, and it actually, I don't know what you want to talk, but it it like affects. If, I think I pee more now. There's something wrong with, you know, it's, it's affected my peeing. I get up and pee like three times a night now. And I think that's because of the catheter. I blame it on the catheter. Right. Maybe it's just getting old. But uh, <laughs> but um, anyways, uh, I got a funny story about the catheter, actually. I do too, actually. Okay, well, well we can, you know what, we can, this will be the first one where two men really open up about those yeah, things exactly, on, on yeah, the okay. podcast. Um, so, um, what was I talking about? The, the tube coming out of my throat. I remember it coming out and I was choking and then all of a sudden... I opened my eyes and my mom was right in front of me and she said, honey, it's okay, you're alive, you're alive. And at that point I was like, oh my God, I'm alive. And then I looked down, my legs reattached. So it's in this like halo looking black thing attached to my body. They reattach it and then my mom starts explaining, okay, Mike, so this is what's happening. Um, They've reattached your leg, you broke your neck and your back. This is the first time I'd known any of this. I didn't know they they were broke when I was in the ditch. 
Mm-hmm. And then I went into coma, so no one had ever told me that uh, you've been through seven surgeries when you were in a coma. And they put your, they have, you have two eight inch rods in your, in your spine, holding your spine together. And your neck's broken, you have to wear a collar for three months. And they've reattached your leg, and we're hopeful that they can save it, basically is what I was told. Uh, so, long story short, uh, four days went by, and my leg basically died. So it never regained circulation, and it was so infected because the bones were sticking out into the ground. They got dirt inside the bone that they couldn't flush out. So it was basically infected from inside out, and it was turning gray, and it was killing me. So I was, I was in so much pain, and I felt like I was actually being drained and dying. Um, and it was my leg. So you know how your body, you know, you get a cut, your body sends everything there to try to fix that, right? All its energy. Mm-hmm. Um, same with a broken bone or anything like that. Well, my body was sending everything to this leg that it was just, it was too much for my body to handle. So at that point, I remember, um, I always knew there was, I was probably going to have it amputated. Really? Even when way. they told you that? You yeah, because thought... I could see it. it. There was no skin on it. It was just a, it was like a horror movie still. It, there was no skin on my whole leg. It was in this halo. I couldn't feel it. I couldn't move it. They would come in and touch it and do stuff. Couldn't. It wasn't part of me. Um, and they tested it every day to see for blood flow. And they were, I knew, they never said it to me, but I could tell by the machine, the way they wanted it, that there was no blood flow. Like I... You know, you just know these things, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'd be, I'd be like, is there anything there? Right? I'd ask them. They're like, oh, yeah, it's hopeful, right? They'd never give me a straight answer. <laughs> so I knew it was bad. But uh, so I remember the day the doctor came in and sat beside me and said, it's okay, Mr. Lachlan. Um, our best case scenario for your life is to have this leg amputated. It'll never be, we can do 20 more surgeries. It may make it. It may not. If it does, it'll never be a leg. It's always, it's just going to be a club something that hangs off you if you get rid of it you have the the technology these days with with prosthetics you can get your life back and i immediately said cut my leg off do it amputate it you were okay with it right away wanted it off man it was killing me and uh, so i went in my first surgery for the amputation and they amputated below the knee because they were trying to save the knee um and they did that and then almost immediately um, so the next day they came back in and they said your knee's not going to make it either so that's another surgery though you talk about it as if it's just like oh you know rip the bandaid off keep going but you're going through another major surgery yeah right so it was like yep we tried to save the knee it's not going to work back into surgery and then this one so once they got rid of the first part the infected part I got like energy back like it was like the, it, they cut off the sickness and I was like, oh, I feel so much better now. And then the knee, the only problem with the knee is it wasn't infected, but it was torn apart. That's where it was ripped off, right? They had put it all back together, but it was just so mangled, it would never be a knee again. So um, so that's why I went in for the second one. So once I had the, the above knee surgery, um, at that point, when I woke up out of that surgery, I was in the most pain I've ever been in, in my life. When you woke up from Even above more than the in the ditch. Yeah, because just all the nerves they have to go through and they go through your femur. They cut it off with a saw, right? Like it's it's a big deal. And uh, I was in pain for two days. I screamed. I never slept. I screamed for two days straight and they couldn't get ahead of it. 
with the pain meds, right? They just couldn't get it. And then finally, they uh, stuck a like a freezing needle in my th- in my thigh, and it and it subsided. And then uh, yeah, and then that was the start of my life with with uh, amputation above the knee. And what was the first step out of the hospital into? So I went was into St. Mary's, in which is the rehabilitation hospital, right? So right, I lived right. there for two weeks. So I was in the KGH for a month um, for everything. And then once I stabilized and I was able to start wheeling around my wheelchair and stuff, um, then I uh, went to St. Mary's and that's where you learn how to live everyday life as an amputee, right? How to work in the kitchen, how to do everything, right? Because um, I was still a little ways away from a prosthetic. Okay, right? so yeah, that's like gonna you be just, my question. It's not like you just yeah. have surgery and throw on a prosthetic, right? That's, See, that's what I would assume in my mind. So what that's is what the... I assumed, right? I was like, okay, now it's done. Put it on. Let's go. Yeah, right? let's start I, running. I want to. Yeah, I want to run today. And so it took a lot. They pulled on the reins pretty hard on me, right? It was almost like everything I did. They were like, "Well, are you sure you're ready for that?" I'm like, "Yeah." I was right off the hop. I was a month ahead of my healing, uh, or or more. They said they they said they'd never seen someone uh, heal so quick and be ready. But it was it's all up here. It's like uh, that's all I wanted to do. I was like, "This is my new life." I'm not going to sit around and feel sorry for myself. I've already... So the part I didn't tell you was before I had to get the amputation, the first one, um, the initial shock of the doctor saying, we're cutting your leg off. You know, cried, um, thought it was the end of the world. Then immediately within an hour, it started turning around. And I was like, okay, well, okay, I have no choice. This is what's happening. I knew this was always not, uh, you know, a possibility. Um, so my dad was there and I said, dad, get over here with the iPad. And, uh, my dad and I literally two hours after he came in and said, we're taking your leg off. My dad and I were on the iPad, um, searching prosthetic legs, which one's the, the best leg for me to go back to work and, and play hockey and do everything. And we actually, uh, were looking at the leg and picked out the leg that I have, that I have today. Because it's the best of the best. Before you Before, even went into that surgery. Yeah. So I had already turned, my mind had already made up, was made mm-hmm. up that I was going to beat this. Right. And that goes back to that mentality that I have. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know what? I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for myself. It's There's no point. The leg is going whether I like it or not. Let's move on. What, what do I have to do to get my life back? Right. And it, I don't know how my mind works like that. I don't know how I can do it so quickly, but I, I just did. People ask that all the time, right? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I think it's just my competitive nature. I just don't want to lose. So I'm like, okay, you're going to take my leg, but I'm going to show you that I can still be me, right? And, and then, uh, and what, what were your parents saying at that point? Hmm. I mean, if you're... So my be... parents were devastated, right? They, yeah. they felt terrible for me because I'm such an active person and my my career was on the line too, right? Mm-hmm. There's never been an above-knee firefighter in Canada. And at the time, there had never been one in the States either. Um, so that, you know, it was a concern that I was going to be depressed or upset and for a long time or whatever, but you know, I think everyone cried a little bit. Um, and then once you once they saw that I, that was my question, I was like, okay, let's do this. They were just like, oh, okay. Right. And everyone around me was just like, oh, okay, well, here he goes. It's Mike. It's Mike being Mike. Right. He's fine. Let's just <laughs> move on. <laughs> right. And on, and honestly, that's part of the reason I, I drove so hard was every single one of my friends, family said, okay, well, if anybody can do it, it's you. Everybody said that to me. 
well, it's no big deal. It's you. You can do it, right? And when people say stuff like that to you, you're like, well, now I can't let them down. I have to do it, right? Yeah. And that's, I mean, I know you're the same. I have to do it. I guess I have to beat this, right? So that's what drove me. So you're obligated into overcoming this. Yeah. What if, if, if I don't, then they're going to be like, well, that's, you know, that's not him. Like, that would have, would have, would have was, right? <laughs> that's what you think. That's what I think right. in the back of my mind. <laughs> that's a healthy way to approach it, I guess. Yeah. So, I, so I was like, I have no choice. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. So the entire time at St. Mary's, I was, the doctors kept telling me I was, um, I was gaining on my time frame. So I was three months ahead, uh, two months in. So I should have been five, where I was at should have been five months later, but it was only, only two months have gone by. That's a lot ahead, right? Yeah. But I think it's all up here. Like, I think you even heal faster if your mind's in the right spot. I really do. I think your body, you know, Well, there is, there is a little bit of research to show that, that when you're mentally in a better state of mind, your immune system and everything functions better. I, I think I'm proof of it because I really do believe, like, everything was sped up. Because how can the doctors say you're not supposed to be here? right now and you are someone that sees that every day and or goes through different things that says that yeah yeah and yeah. they kept saying it to me and i was like well I, you know i have a goal and it's to be back to work so let's do this right mm-hmm. <laughs> and so how were you learning that stuff without a prosthetic on at that point or did well i was preparing myself for the prosthetic but i was there's a lot of preparation uh, that goes with your stump to get it ready so there's all these compression bandages that have to go on to shape your stump um you have to you know toughen it up because it's going to be able to hold that weight and stuff. Um, I went through a time where I had all kinds of sores all over it and had to take time off because, like time off from training and getting better because I literally wore through my skin because I was walking so much, running so much, do, you know, over-exercising, overdoing everything, and mm. which sets you back, right? But at the time, I was just like, let's do this, right? So I learned the hard way a few times. I wore right through my skin and had to give it two weeks to heal and stuff like that, right? But... Uh, over time your stump it toughens up just like a you know like leather and gets tough and then you go on so now like now it's you know i still get sores because i overdo stuff like i'll go and cut i I have some rentals in town here right i'll go cut three lawns and then go to the gym and then after working a 24-hour shift at the fire department and my i'll get home my girlfriend be like you're an idiot like what are you doing because i'll have a sore on my leg right i'm like you know i can't that's me i don't know i can't help it i'm not gonna let this slow me down this is this is what i do right and she's like i know i know but you know you gotta start taking care of yourself a little better yeah yeah it's just you know once i got my leg back i was just like oh you know i gotta catch i gotta catch up what was that first day like because so marty robinson is my prosthesis here in kingston okay amazing guy this guy is well known in the prosthetic world and uh this was a challenge for him too because he he's never had someone like me that's that wants to play baseball, hockey, be a firefighter, um, and I want to do it now, and I want to, I want the best leg you can possibly build, and I want like I had so many demands for him, right? And he's just like, holy. So yeah, crap. make me one of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this socket that he built is something he's never really built before. We got some ideas. So during this whole process, I met a firefighter from the U.S. that. Had a motorcycle accident, lost the exact same leg in the same spot, craziness, has the same leg, the Auto Box X3, and um, he actually phoned up during my recovery and never got a hold of me. He phoned the fire department when I was in the hospital trying to, you know, trying to connect because he was mm-hmm. going through the same thing. 
And then I saw his story on online and uh, contacted his fire department. I got a hold of him. He came down to Kingston and visited me um, before I had retested to go back to, to work um, and gave me a bunch of pointers and stuff. Anyways, we, and we just swapped stories and so similar, right? And he's proof that, you know, he was the first firefighter, full-time firefighter in North America, possibly the world, with an above-knee amputation to go back to full-time duty. Not having a knee is huge. There's amputees that have, are below knee. Um, not yeah, taking a, them anything away from them. No, but, but the joint is like, world. yeah, for Your sure. Your knee joint, think about how important that is. Yeah, for any and everything you do. Everything. Stability, even upper body stuff. Yeah. yeah. And uh, a lot of people don't realize that. They think an amputee is an amputee, but it's not. So that's why there's, there's never been, because it's just so difficult. But the technology helps us. And obviously, you gotta have the drive, right? Mm -hmm. So um, Brandon Anderson's his name, and uh, yeah, came up, visited me, and helped me out. And uh, uh, a couple months after he came up, I passed the testing to go back to work. So, but uh, so there's only two of us in North America: one U.S., one Canadian. And uh, but I tell him he's a wuss, right? I'm like, you're a wuss though, because I broke my neck and back. <laughs> And lost my leg. You just broke. You just lost your leg, man. You're a wuss, right? You, you Americans are wusses. <laughs> I, I I don't use the word wuss with him, but you get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We never tell him to his face, but yeah. yeah. So when when you decided to go back to firefighting, did you was did it all come together at the same time when you got that prosthetic, or did you think beforehand, oh, I'm going to get back to firefighting? Oh no, right from laying in the hospital bed, I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm doing it. I'm and was there I'm anything? Was there anything that you had to change or alter? And I know that's a dumb question, but I mean in relation to all the testing, everything you have to do. And I know even briefly going up the stairs, we talked about you just have different ways of doing things. Was yeah. What were the biggest things that had to change? So stairs are the biggest, like I said, uh, and ladders, anything going up, right? Because I don't have a knee to push my way up. So I have one leg that does all the work. Um, but, you know, the city of Kingston and, and Kingston Fire Rescue had my back completely. Right, so um, they were. They said, whatever we have to modify, whatever we have to do, we we have your back. We'll do it. If you can pass the testing, we will do whatever we can do to to help you. Right, not to not to give you an easy route, but if you need a belt to hook onto the ladder as you go up the ladder, um, which I do now, um, then that's fine. We'll get you a belt. So they got me a, a safety belt. So I'll hook on the rung as I go up, just in case I, you know, because mm -hmm. we we do what you call a leg lock when you get up the ladder and you put your leg in through the rung and hook your foot in, I can't do that. So instead I've got this belt to hook on. Little adjustments like that, but uh, as for the job itself, I have to do everything that everyone else does. So um, they don't say how you have to get up the stairs, they say you have to get up the stairs. So you saw I was taking two steps at a time with this leg. Boom, boom, boom. Or I can walk up with this, which is a little slower. So usually I just do it with the one leg. You know, step, step, step with one leg. As long as I get up the stairs, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I have to change some things the way I do them, but I do everything the same as everyone else. And that's that's what I want. I wasn't going to go back to work and do things half-assed, right? That's not fair. Mm -hmm. It's not fair to you if you're in a burning building to have a half-assed guy come up and get you. You have to have a guy that can do exactly what everyone else can do come up and save you right yeah it's not fair to to send some you know to give you you know half the protection yeah right yeah. so so i told myself from the beginning if i can't do it i'll do something else in the fire department but if i can do it i'm i'm getting back to being a firefighter that's my ultimate goal i don't want to be a you know maybe later on in my career a training officer or or something along those lines but 
for right now, I want to prove to everyone that I, that this is doable and I can do it. And so then, how long was it after when you woke up, when you were in that excru- the most pain you've ever been into your first shift as a firefighter? What was the time? Uh, about eight months. Not really. <laughs> That's nothing. Yeah. I, I, when I came back to work on light duties the first time, um, my doctor was even just like, no, this isn't possible. You can't do it. And I was like, well, I'm ready. And... Um, yeah, I remember a lot of people being like, this is this can't be happening, right? But I put I, I take it all back to it's all in your head. It's all if you want to do it, you can do it. Right? And I, I'm I'm living proof of it. I just I can't ex- stress that enough. It's you know, I know that a lot of people, if they have an injury like this, they they get depressed and um, they think they you know their life's over and, and a lot of people can't get past that. But you know, I'd like to be able to talk to every single one of them and, and just say, listen, it's all up here. You can do it and, and you will do it if you get off this couch right now, you know, and put the effort in. You got to be willing to put the effort in. You can you can live a normal life, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and more than normal, right? I do everything I used to do. I even started skating, right, recently. Wow. And uh, Marty's actually making me a custom skate right now. Come on. Yeah. I skated on normal skates the first few times, but he's making a custom one now. So that's like, awesome. I mean, that's unheard of, right? Skate, yeah. Skating without a knee. Well, I'm going to do it, right? Only because people can't say you can't. Yeah, you're not going to lose. <laughs> yeah, and I love hockey, and I just, you know what? I tell people this. The biggest disappointment for me, the biggest loss for me is hockey. Um, not being able to play hockey anymore. Mm-hmm. I was teaching hockey, too. I was teaching hockey for Fine Line, um, hockey in Kingston here. I taught for eight years, and I uh, was one of the lead instructors here, and now can't do it right mm. I, I taught power skating i taught you know yeah. i did power skate with their legs so right the biggest loss for me and I, you know i still played competitive hockey i played in the men's elite league in kingston here and uh played in the in the men's league in gan like i played in the day league for the firefighters i was playing all kinds of hockey i played five times a week right and now you know i don't play at all so it was a tough pill to swallow it still is i really miss it um, but last year, I still ran the men's league, the, le- the elite team. So I play- I was the coach, and I still ran the team and everything and had a lot of fun well, just to keep involved. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I, you know, I miss the, the camaraderie and the guys in the dressing room. Which you get right? it as a firefighter, too, yes. which helps. Exactly. And uh, you finished, I guess, your playing, your competitive playing portion of hockey as a goal scorer anyway. So you... You saw the fighting side and you finished as a goal scorer. Good so point. that's Very a good, good point. I've never thought of that. Yeah. I actually got to see both sides before I was done. Yeah. And I, I got zero fights my whole career. So <laughs> could have, uh, go back to the old wuss where it is what some people might call it. <laughs> no, you're smart. You're smart. Yeah. <laughs> um, the one thing I saw when I was reading your story that really stood out was um, the quote, a new normal. And I find that interesting because... There's so many moving pieces, and nowadays, even with careers for people that I, I don't even know what the average um, career, the number of careers for people is. I think it's four or five. People change from career to career, and and I again we talked about everything's relative. So yes, they're not losing a body part, but there's so many people nowadays with how fast life is. So many things are changing. What is the new a new normal? mean to you if you so the new a new normal actually got from a a guy named jesse braun who is a kingston police officer here um and he is an amputee also and you would never know it the guy would walk up to you and you'd just be he's a baloney amp but he's an amputee and i lost it on a motorcycle many years ago 2007 actually when i had my first my snowmobile accident um and when i was in the hospital i asked for him to come see me because i knew him and um he uh he came and he said, Mike, 
you're going to be just fine. He said, it's just going to be a new normal for you. And I didn't know what that meant. But that what that meant is, you know, when you get up in the morning and you put your two shoes on to walk out the door, well, I put a shoe and a leg on. That's the new normal for me. And that's what he was getting at is just, you can do everything. It'll just be a little different than, ever, than you used to do, you mm-hmm. know? So, you know, that goes for everything in, in life, right? Um, you know, when I want to go to go to work and I put on my fire gear, well, I've got a lag that's in my fire gear waiting for me. And I, so when we get a call, I'm just as fast as everyone else getting on the truck. I walk up, I pop my leg off, I put my other leg on, put my gear up and go. It's the new normal for me, right? It, mm-hmm. It's normal for me now. Yeah. Right, so that's what he was getting at. Was everything's going to be just a new normal, uh, and it's normal for you, and it is. It's, I like it's, that. Yeah, so that's where I got it from. Jesse Braun was is, uh, oh, cool. is a very good example of someone who's overcome because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he went through a very similar situation. Incredible. I have to, I have to ask. Knowing, I mean, we started this. We love the camaraderie of the locker room, the firefighters. Uh, are there chirps that ever get thrown around? Absolutely. With your, with your story? Like, I'm, I'm judging. I, I think so, talking to you right now, so yeah. doing this kind of stuff, yeah. the guys chirp me, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, a superstar, right? Oh, Hollywood, he's doing his, <laughs> his, his thing. But but they're they're just chirp. You as you know, if they're chirping yes. you, they like you. Exactly. If they're not chirping you, there's a problem, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, all, all kinds of chirping, right? Like, uh, you don't have a leg to stand on jokes and all, <laughs> you know, you know, they, all, all that stuff, right? Um, but... As I said, if they're chirping you, they're like, yeah, and it's, mm-hmm. and I, lo- I love it. Like I was, you know, being a hockey player, I was a big chirper too. Right? Yeah, of course. And uh, so I give it out and I take it and I'm fine with it. Are there any nicknames that get uh, thrown You know, I, my, my nickname's always been Locker. Okay, so, so that's pretty easy. So they stick with Locker and I told mm-hmm. them, and it said, if you call me anything else, I'll beat you up. They, they, know, <laughs> they know that too. <laughs> being a fighter, right? But yeah. Um, no, yeah, you know, they'll, they'll joke about it, call me Stumpy or something sometimes mm-hmm. or, you know, you know, hop along or whatever. But it, it's all It's all fun, in respect right? and yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know when we first, when I initially called you, and asked if you'd be willing to come on the podcast, you had talked about speaking a lot and also the fact that you go visit individuals at the hospital. And you said you wish you could tell everyone. Yeah, I do. How amazing is that? Or what's that like being able to go to the hospital and, and talk to people in the position that you were when you first woke up? Yeah. You know? um, I just re- I just remember when I woke up, the almost loneliness and the uncertainty of what's going to come, right? You think you're career's over you think your life's basically over and it's going to change dramatically and uh, I want to be there for people when they wake up to be like you know what it seems bad right now but it's not you can do this like you just said you're going to have a new normal but it's going to be normal for you you're going to be fine and because I know how scary it is to be in that position and I you know I'm very strong-minded and strong in that position and I know a lot of people aren't so I, I think about people that are, are, you know, a little weaker in that, in that area and they can't handle that adversity. Um, and I can see how they can, you know, get knocked down and, and get depressed and, and think that their life's over, but it's not. And I want to be there for those people and say, you know what, I'm, a, I'm an example, you know, look at me, look what I did. You can do the same and, and better, right? So. Um, I do. A, I talk at a party program. It's called. It's, uh, it's for high school kids in Kingston, and um, a group of kids come to the hospital and they tour around and they get a you know an idea of what goes on in the hospital. And then I'm I go and do a survivor talk with so someone that's lived in the hospital and been through it, and um, and I tell them my story 
similar to what I've told you. And, uh, and typically they're just in a trance, just listening intently because I, you know, I, I tell them the real facts and, and how it is. And, and, uh, and then I tell them at the end, I say, you know, no matter what you're going through in life, um, you can always overcome it no matter what it is. Uh, it's, you're all capable of overcoming anything, right? So that's my message usually. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and then and then I've went in and done a lot of talks with people that have had accidents and I will go in and I'll talk to them and say, you know, I know you've lost your leg or your arm or whatever, but you know what, you're gonna be fine. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a full-time firefighter, believe it or not, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I do, and I'm an amputee, so, you know, good example. And I uh, actually, we were on a fire call the other day and I was driving the fire truck, so I was outside and the guys were inside and walk, uh, a guy walked by and he had two prosthetics on. So I jumped into the truck and I went over and I said, how you doing? And he was like, good, like, why are you coming over to me, right? I said, well, I'm an amputee. And he's like, no way. And so I, I pulled my bunker gear down and showed him. And he's like, unbelievable. And he's like, I'm actually struggling with, uh, you know, the acceptance of what's going on here. And, uh, and so I, we, we chatted for 20 minutes and, uh, and before I left, his girlfriend was with him and he started walking away and she just came back quickly and she goes, I think you just uh, motivated him. I think I can see it in his eyes, like a sparkle in his eyes. I, I said, thank you very much. And, uh, and uh, asked if they could contact me on Facebook and, you know, talk further. So out of the blue, helped out someone just by telling my story mm-hmm. and, uh, and showing that it's possible, right? Yeah. Um, so there's another example. And that just happened uh, five days ago. Wow. So, and these things happen all the time, right? So yeah. I really enjoy it. I do. The coolest, and I've said this on the podcast before, one of the coolest things with, with individuals that have a story or have a message, often they end up helping people in a way they didn't even think their story made an impact, which is, which is really cool. You know, I, when I first started sharing my story, it was thinking of getting a perfect, perfect script, perfect message, hit the punchline, all this stuff. And you think that it has to be like that. And you, you could have made an impact with a part of your story that didn't mean anything to you. You Absolutely. don't even think about it and it affects someone in a way that could change them like you it's did It's funny you just said that. Ago. I tell my story and I've told it maybe 50 times. I think I've told it different 50 times. Mm-hmm. I've told it, you know what I mean? I've, I've, I've uh, you know, talked about one situation out of my story longer or I really have. I just wing it. I don't have mm-hmm. a script. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, today I've just winged it, right? Like it's, yeah. I think that's, that you know depending on who you're talking to what crowd it is you get a feel for it right and you just and you really hit on the points you need to hit on and you're exactly. right I've, I've had um, parents um, after these kids I've done a talk for the kids um, Facebook me and say you know my son or my daughter was in the, the class today that you talked to and they came home and they haven't stopped talking for the last half an hour about what you told and uh, I think it's really made a difference in their life like that just you can't feel any better when someone tells you that, right? It's totally. Like, unbelievable. I've actually, I got through to someone. If I got through to one person out of that group, I've made a difference, mm-hmm. right? And I know you feel the same way. Totally, you you. totally, yeah. exactly. With, uh, in concluding here, you said you had a catheter story, which I do too, and I think it's a, I haven't told anyone outside of my family this story, okay. so to put it on the podcast is really uh, <laughs> showing my true color. So I don't know if you want to go first okay, or if I so, should go first. So my first accident, 2007, um, they wheel me into this room. Um, I just got the gown on, and a little old lady walks in, and she walks up and I, hey, how are you, the son? And she whips up okay, my uh, my gown and grabs me by my part and goes to jam a tube down me. 
And I go, whoa! And I and I hit her and pushed her across the room, and she fell on the floor. And I was like, what were you doing? Like, and she just gets up, dusts herself off, smiling, walks out of the room. I was like, what the heck was that? I'm trying to jam something down my, you know, my yeah. penis. And um, so, like two minutes later, she walks in with four guys. <laughs> They pin me down, and she's whistling as she jams it into me and puts my catheter in, pumps it up, and she's just smiling at me the whole time. And, I'm, and uh, basically, she just uh, you know finishes her job, goes thanks, boys, looks at me, gives me a wink, and walks out of the room. Come <laughs> So you know the joke, the joke's on me. You know, oh yeah, you pushed me on the floor. Watch this, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that was my first. I didn't even know what a catheter was at the time. Yeah. Right. And so I was like, what are you doing? But anyways, you know, for funny story, because she, yeah. she, she got the last laugh. Right? Yeah, Victor. <laughs> oh, that beats mine. Mine was not nearly the same, but I same thing. I woke up, I had no idea. They had got, so that's the thing. They must have put mine in. When you were sleeping. When I was sleeping. So I had absolutely no idea. So I wake up and, and feel this in my, kind of in my body. It's like a weird feeling. And I look down and obviously there's something going on. I'm like, what even is this? But I assumed I'm in a hospital. Like there's obviously a point to this. So then they tell me what it is. Yeah, yeah. And um, when they're taking it out, Worst, I'm awake. Worst feeling, eh? So oh, it, was, it was like a stinging, weird that you can feel something in you that shouldn't. So anyways, so they wake me up and the nurse is, is like, yeah, so we're going to pull this out. It's going to feel like you have to pee, but you don't actually have to. So just make sure you relax because if you tense up, it's going to hurt more because it's harder. And I'm thinking, okay, I need to relax fully because what's going on down there, I don't want any extra pain. Yep. So she keeps saying, you're going to feel like you need to pee. Don't just relax. Just relax. Give me the wheelies. <laughs> Sorry. And so she's... So here she goes. She starts uh, pulling it out or whatever. It feels super weird. Never felt anything like it. I'm trying to stay relaxed because I don't want it to hurt anymore. Pulls it out, pulls it out. She's like, okay, so just relax. You Does don't it feel like I was be... pulling out forever? Yes. Like, yeah. how did you get, what is this? Like a full yeah. cord of... Yeah, it's yeah. down in my foot, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So finally she, and she, as soon as she gets it out, she's like, just, you're not, you're going to feel like you need to pee, but you don't. Stings, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. A lot. And then all of a sudden... I guess I did have to, and I start, and I'm still on drugs and whatever. I'm peeing everywhere <laughs> on, the, on the bed, like all over. And I'm like, oh my no, god, you I said, can't control it. Yeah, you yeah. said that I wouldn't have to. Yeah. So yeah, mine, mine. Uh, That's amazing. Not as good as yeah. yours. I like that one. That, so that old lady. And it tough. stung for like three days to pee, right? Mine did for the first like two or three days, but yeah. that time in my life was still kind of blurry. But yeah, it was. Yeah. I remember when it first it stung came for a while, out. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah. So I went through that twice, and I, I remember the second time I knew it was happening. She's like. Okay, I'm gonna count to three, then I'm gonna pull it out. And like we we got to two like five times. One, and I grab a hold of it. No, don't do it. I was so scared because I remember the first time stung so bad and I just didn't want to do it. And then finally she goes, one yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? She's oh, like, yeah. I can't do this anymore. So she counted to one and took it. But uh yeah, catheters are terrible. Oh yeah. 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 Good story, man. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. yeah likewise. All right, well, this has been, uh, this is a whirlwind. This has been unbelievable. I, and I know you're you're busy doing a bunch of other things. So taking the time today, I, I can't thank you enough. And hopefully um, I see you around and we stay in touch and we chat again soon. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That is the end of another Heroic Minds podcast. Two reminders. One, constructive feedback. I am making as many adjustments as I can as the feedback comes in. I greatly appreciate everyone that has said, oh, you could try this, or this is was a little annoying maybe, or you could do this. Please, I'm open to all constructive criticisms as it is helping to push this podcast in the right direction. And number two, always welcomed positive feedback on whatever platform it is you are listening to this podcast on. 
As always, thank you so much for listening. This is Ben Finelli with the Heroic Minds Podcast.